Hey companions, uh, this is Peter. And this is Tom. And this is a pre-recorded episode from Podstalgic. So uh, this episode is still there, but we decided to put these on Cobra Kai Companion. So that way you guys get to hear all the stuff that we have done previously. Yes. Basically, it's the same uh, Tom and Peter, same show, just a little bit more directly uh, fed to you. And here it is. Mercy is for the weak. We do not train to be merciful here. A man face you, he is enemy. Enemy deserve no mercy. Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to Podstalgic, uh, another episode here. Uh, this is a podcast where I take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. And for this episode, we're doing another older movie. And joining me yet again is Tom from Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Hey, Tom. Hey, I'm thrilled to be back. Yeah, well, we are doing part two of the Karate Kid movie, which uh, if anyone missed, you joined me on the first review as well. Yes, I did. I greatly, greatly enjoyed that movie. I walked away with it, uh, from it with a new appreciation that I didn't know was there. Yeah, it's, um, you know, these movies people kind of forget about. Uh, you know, we always remember like your Back to the Future, your Ghostbusters, uh, never ending story, but like Credit Kid, I, I feel doesn't get a lot of love. I would agree. Uh, that first movie, I would, I, I think it deserves the title of a classic movie. Yeah, it, it really is. Let me see here. For for those that maybe missed the first episode or, you know, if this is the first time they've heard you, can you talk a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, uh, we are going to take a page out of Seinfeld's book and say that we're almost a podcast about nothing we, in that we uh, cover a wide variety of subjects. Movies, comic books, uh, television shows, uh, drinking, wasting time, having fun and laughing. Yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's about nothing, but, uh, every episode <laughs> is about something, obviously. It's, uh, it's, it's great. You guys are very knowledgeable in, I, I, I geekdom, nerdum, pick, pick one, right? Um, you guys, all of cover the above, all of the above. <laughs> you guys get great interviews, uh, people that work on comics, artists, authors, and, and all the get, uh, all the good stuff and review movies time to time uh, as well. Yeah, uh, I'm actually, uh, in the middle of editing our, uh, our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 episode right now, actually. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. Okay. So we are just going to jump right into it. Uh, before we get any further into the actual review of the movie, uh, I just want to talk about, uh, the number one song that came out the time it's released. Uh, and this movie almost came out down to the very same week the first one came out, but exactly two years later. Um, the song, the number one song was Patti LaBelle's On My Own. Oh, that's a great song. Is yeah. it, I, I wonder if I'll know it if I heard it. It's just one of those things. Um, maybe. Uh, it was a duet with Michael... Oh, no, you don't want me saying <laughs> that. I, I think it was a duet with uh, Michael McDonald, if I remember right. Uh, actually, yeah, I haven't thought about that song in years. Oh, okay. So it's probably not a one-hit one, or probably just not one of her really big ones. Obviously, I know who Patti LaBelle is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm wondering if you go to YouTube and type it in, you might recognize it. Okay, I'm I'm sure I will. Uh, obviously, uh, in post, I always add a little snippet of that song mm-hmm. too. Um, the other movie that came out the same weekend is called Legal Eagles. That was actually a pretty good movie. It's got uh, I want to say Robert, Robert Redford, Redford, yeah, Deborah Winger, and Daryl Hannah. Interesting. I'm looking at the cover box right now. I I feel like I've seen the cover box probably working on Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Not a movie I saw. It was a pretty good uh, 80s workplace co- uh, comedy romantic drama. Uh, kind of been forgotten. 
now that I think about it. But yeah, it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, I'm um, just looking at the... This is probably gross. Let me see here. Total gross. Okay, so opening credit kit opened up with 12.6 million. Legal Eagles, 8 million uh, that weekend. Credit kit 2 would go on to gross $115 million. Not bad good. for, yeah, for back in 86. That was actually really good. Yeah, not bad for a year that also saw uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Big Trouble Little China, uh, I think Top Gun, right? Top Gun probably ruled um, the box office that year, I believe. Yeah, you know what? That's one of those movies I always thought was kind of overrated. Top Gun? Yeah. I feel like it doesn't hold up. I recently it, watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> we have, there's movies like that, like Avatar, I, I feel it is, uh, kind of overrated as well. Yeah. Um, the debate for another day. Now, t- uh, Tom, this, this movie, uh, off mic, you mentioned you probably haven't seen since you were, uh, in the fourth grade, you said. Yeah. Right about, uh, nine or ten years old. Yeah. Holy smokes. So, yeah. uh, what, what did you remember about this movie? I remember that it took place, uh, over in Mr. Miyagi's homeland. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember being very upset with, uh, the movie because they got rid of Noah Alley with an I. Right. Alley with an I. And, uh, I also remember trying to figure out what the deal was with the little, the little drums. The little drums. Okay. Those, so th- those kind of stuck out to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, especially the, uh, you know, the absence of Elizabeth Shue. I mean, to this day, she just looks like she'd be a, a nice little girl to take out for, for a milkshake, you know? Oh, oh sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, this movie, uh, surprisingly, like when we were watching, uh, or I, I guess when, uh, you know, you and I were both watching, um, part one, I was waiting for like some of those musical cues that I thought I was familiar with, come to find that they were actually in this movie. So, um, oh. Yeah, I think the the score of Credit Kid 2 kind of uh, stuck with me all these years, um, more so than the first movie. I guess the first movie is really just, you know, a, a handful of songs, really. But for whatever reason, yeah, the musical score in Credit Kid stuck out the most, uh, part two, that is. When you say the score, are you talking about the soundtrack or are you talking about the actual score? The actual score. Oh, okay. Whenever I hear Karate Kid mu- music in my head, it's always uh, the the flute. Yeah, it's, it's yeah the uh, Japanese sounding flute. Mm-hmm. Like I I I feel you get a variation of that in the first movie. Uh, this one's a little bit more distinctive, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was trying to find you know some some clips to add in our first review, I didn't find it on that um, on the score CD because you know they, they got the soundtrack and they got the score. Uh, so watching. Part two, that's where I heard most of the ones that I was looking for. I was like, oh, okay, so it was in part two, not one. Um, so what did you think about the music in this movie? And some of the uh, American pop songs were really old, uh, aside from Glory of Love. Uh, yeah, I noticed that they did like the uh, old Bill Haley rock around the clock uh, at that uh, dance club scene. To be honest with you, it didn't really make much of an impression on those two songs. You know, there, uh, there was another one. Um, I'm forgetting who sang it, but Earth Angel. Oh, okay. I, I must have completely zoned that out. It, it was in the uh, very same dancing. It's actually when uh, Daniel and Kumiko, which we'll jump, uh, I mean, get into the characters pretty soon here. Uh, it's when they go sit down after they're dancing to Rock Around the Clock. Okay. Um, obviously, the reason that stuck out for me, because I was finding a lot of similarities to this and things from Back to the Future. So it's kind of like what came first. Obviously, this was released in 86, but there's a line Daniel drops. If you put your mind to it, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's, that's almost a ripoff of, you know, back to the future. That's, uh, that's very reminiscent of a certain George McFly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, coward is often thrown throughout this movie. Uh, Martin McFly has been accused of a coward in episodes or part two and three. Uh, Daniel is also wearing a red t-shirt and blue jeans, which most people are like, okay, what's the big deal? Well, Martin McFly also wears <laughs> a red t-shirt and blue jeans in the first movie, uh, and the second movie, actually. So I know it's a bit of a stretch, but it's, it's kind of hard to not see these, uh, being a fan of both, uh, both franchises, actually. I'd never even thought about that that way. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. gonna to, I'm gonna have to keep an eye out for that. It's really hard because especially Back to the Future 3, it's about Doc. Uh, this one, Karate Kid Part 2, it's about uh, Mr. Miyagi. Um, 
Yeah, very a lot of similarities. So returning in this movie, we got Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita、uh, reprising their roles as Daniel and、uh, Mr. Miyagi. New to the cast is. All new people. Well, with the exception of like the first five minutes, where we got the Cobra Kai,、uh, same same actors, and、um, um, Martin Cove also returned as、uh, Sensei Kreese、uh, for a brief stint there. But new, we got Nobu McCarthy plays Yuki, who is Pat Morita's Pat Morita's、um, not high school sweetheart, but、uh, you know a a loved long lost love, long lost love, old girlfriend from when he was eighteen.、Uh, Tamlin Tomita,、uh, this is her debut, plays Kumiko.、Uh, I also knew her in a、uh, episode of Quantum Leap.、Oh. Um, Yuji Okumoto、uh, as Shozen Toguchi.、Uh, he was also in Better Off Dead with John Cusack. I forgot the name of his character. Do, do you re- remember that movie much, Tom? I've never seen that movie. No. Okay. All right. Then no need to get into that. But he also <laughs> <laughs> he also has a small role in that movie.、Uh, and I think that's、oh, no, no, no. Let's talk about uh, Sato, uh, Danny Kamakona. Japanese and Hawaiian、uh, actors and actresses、uh, in this one because this movie was filmed in Oahu. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was filmed in Oahu.、Uh, it was just another way to kind of film in the on U.S. soil、uh, as opposed to actually being in Okinawa.、Uh, they even built like、uh, re- replicated、uh, Okinawan houses、uh, at some part in Oahu、uh, to film. They they did a very good job. Uh, uh... I my father was、uh, stationed in Okinawa during the sixties, and I used to see his photos. And just based on my memory of those photos, I would have swore that it was in Okinawa. So they did a really good job with their、uh, their set design. Oh, that's awesome!、Uh, I would love to hear.、Um, uh, I want to give a shout out to a coworker of mine,、uh, DJ, who's also a podcaster.、Uh, his show is called The Greatest Show,、uh, but he listened to our first review, and uh, uh, he he liked it. He enjoyed it.、Um, He was also stationed in Okinawa,、oh. so I'd be curious to see if he,、um, uh, you know, has seen part two or remembers much of it, and you know, get his thoughts on on their portrayal of it.、Um, I guess let's just kind of get into the story.、Uh, briefly, the synopsis is、um, Mr. Miyagi. His he gets he receives a letter from Okinawa.、Um, About his father being very sick, so him and Daniel fly over there.、Uh, not only is he there to see his、um, sick father, he kind of rekindles an old、uh, old flame and also settles a score with a old best friend that has a big grudge against him. Yeah,、uh, that's, that's pretty much it. That yeah, that's well. You also have、uh, the nephew of Sato. Yeah, yeah.、Um, uh, Shozen, Shozen、mm-hmm. is Sato's、uh, nephew, who is kind of our、uh, Johnny Lawrence in this movie. He's the quote unquote、um, bad guy here, the the villain to、uh, Danielson. The, the there's some similarities to the first one for sure, especially the dance scene, very similar, almost beat by beat. But in this one,、uh, Shozen and Kumiko are not、uh, tied to any past relationships, as far as we know. But、no. uh, definitely does not like、um, Danielson in this movie. Yeah, and、um, I'm gonna come right out and say I did not like this movie as much as I remembered. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah.、Uh, again, when I watched it as a you know nine or ten year old. I loved this movie. I thought it was actually better than the original one, and so I was really, really excited to sit down and watch this movie. And I thought that the characters weren't anywhere near as interesting as they were in the first one. You know,、okay. both you know the heroes and the villains. I thought were just kind of very one-dimensional. Hmm. Okay, I can see that.、Uh, what do you think about the pacing? Uh, it was kind of up and down. You know, it had a lot of peaks and valleys. I thought. I think、um, my issue with the pacing was that、uh, you know, after the passing of Mr. Miyagi's father, Sato gives Mr. Miyagi three days to mourn.、Um, though that's very noble of him, I think that's kind of where it kind of meanders a little bit in the story.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I did kind of find myself like, all right, what, I, I kind of forget what happens now in those next three days. And then that's kind of when it switches to like Daniel's, you know, lo- love story here with、uh, Kumiko. 
that's where I, I, I got a little bored. So mm-hmm. not quite with you, uh, cause I still, uh, this, this is still one of my favorite sequels. Um, I think this is where nostalgia, you know, comes into play where I feel I, I can forgive uh, a, a lot of that, uh, as, as, you know, as you say, like one dimensional uh, characters. Um, the thing with this movie is I've read on IMDb and I don't know how true it is because I didn't look it up, but it mm-hmm. says that it made more in the box office than the first Karate Kid movie. And that to me, you know, that kind of, um, answers the question that, uh, is asked often nowadays, you know, can a movie with like a mostly Asian cast, you know, uh, can, can it bring in money? Well, this, this movie kind of, it, it did that. I, this this is where I get to feel like a jerk because I do believe movies with any kind of cast can bring in movie, but in this instance, did the cast bring in the movie? I'm sorry, did the cast bring in the money, or was the name brand of Karate Kid what brought in the money? Yeah, very good point because it is a sequel and kind of like a you know I obviously I haven't heard your review of Guardians of the Galaxy Part Two, a Volume Two. It, you know, is it? Is well, yeah. I guess well, they yeah, do have a lot yeah, of big we, names we, too. <laughs> we talked we talked online about it. You and I are fairly on the same page. Where okay. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And there are a lot of flaws in there that are very hard to ignore. Yeah, but um, and then I kind of feel the same way about this movie. I didn't hate it. I thought it was kind of fun in almost like a campy kind of way. Yeah. But do you want to go uh, into the story a little bit deeper? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what do you want to start? Do you want to start with Mr. Miyagi arriving? Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, you know, I, I was just kind of thinking back to how you mentioned the first one, um, you know, the script was, you know, tightly written. Uh, I felt this one wasn't as tight. However, they kept on kind of writing things in, kind of like, a, like an internal not monologue, but they would just keep on giving us like these little foreshadowing clues on what's about to happen next. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, for example, on Mr. Miyaki and Daniel's flight over to Okinawa, he keeps looking. He, I, I guess Daniel started like, uh, studying Okinawa and he's got this book and he keeps telling Mr. Miyagi, I, I don't see your village, you know? And, um, so that keeps coming up and I guess we're, you know, we find out that the, the village no longer exists there, that now it's a uh, military base. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, again, uh, post-World War II, that is not surprising. And they actually, uh, the one of the actually things I, I did really like about this movie is they did touch on a lot of the history of Okinawa. I, I find that absolutely fascinating. Oh yeah, and not just the history, the culture in mm-hmm. itself. Like we yeah. learned quite a bit, and I think I wonder. Like I, I know you said that that was uh, kind of fascinating, but do you think maybe that's why people aren't so high on this movie because because it's not your typical credit kid movie. It's you don't get a lot of the um the the unorthodox uh, techniques of Mr. Miyagi's teachings. Uh, it, it's kind of anticlimactic at the end a little bit, you know, with the fight scene. Uh, between Daniel and Chosen? If I had to guess the reason why a lot of people aren't really uh, in, in love with this movie the way that, we were, that they were the first one, I think it's uh, it all comes down to the writing and the characters. I couldn't connect with any of the characters. I thought that a lot of the actions on the bad guys' parts were just cartoonishly over the top, where... They're literally even grabbing books and throwing them on the floor in defiance. And the bad guys walking around with the gold chain and the button down shirt and the popped collar. It's like, oh, come on. Okay. Okay. This I is, see what you mean. It's not so much a character as it's a caricature. Yeah. I wonder if it, for, for me, a, a little bias, you know, for those that uh, don't know, I am Asian. Uh, they, they speak about honor, uh, very often in this movie to the point where I was starting to get a little sick of it. But for me, like I have like a little personal, uh, story with this, this whole honor thing. And so I kind of like, um, sympathize with Mr. Miyagi. Uh, I growing up, I didn't, I was kind of, um, I kind of embarrassed my, my family a bit and not where I like, I did things that, you know, were bad. It was kind of, I was bringing trouble around, 
mm-hmm. you know, kind of hanging hanging out with the wrong people that I hung out with the wrong people kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a point where my father and I we actually uh, just kind of not talked. Like I, I lived at home, but we would kind of avoid each other, and it, so I never really had my father throughout. Um, my, you know, my high school years, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of help guide me. You know, it was, um, I was very misguided, I guess, uh, as a youth. And it wasn't until I enlisted into the army my senior year. And it wasn't until I was away for basic training where I got a letter from my dad. And for the very first time, he told me that I brought honor to our family name and how much he loved me and all that. I'm like, where, where was all this? You know, I, 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 it was like the first time I ever heard anything like that. So I could, you know, so, so I think Mr. Miyagi's story kind of resonates with me in that. And that's why, um, I really do enjoy it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, Mr. Miyagi is definitely still the most interesting character by far in this movie as well as the, uh, as well as he was in the, the first one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Daniel, I think, spends too much time as an observer. And it's a little bit more forgivable in this movie because, uh, again, this is Mr. Miyagi's story. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of crazy to think that both movies are also, uh, uh, Academy Award nominees, uh, for the first one, uh, Pat Morita was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And this one got a, uh, Best Original Song with a Gloria Love by Peter Cetera. I can, I can believe that. That, uh, was a very, very big hit back in the day. It really was. It was and one it, of those songs that you could not escape. Yeah. And if, if I remember correctly, I think it lost out to, uh, the time of my life or the time of our life. I could see 30 that. dancing. Yeah, that was another huge one. Yep. Um, so what do you think about Mr. Miyagi and his, uh, Yuki's, uh, relationship there? I got a little confused because I know that he had, you know, he lost a wife and the child in an internment camp. So that's after her, I guess, after he comes to the U.S. Yeah, yeah. He said that he first met her when she was working in a sugar cane field in Hawaii. Oh, right. Yes. So, yeah, it was definitely after. And I think he was in, even enlisted at that point. Okay. I see. I kind of misremembered, like, the, um, you know, like how I felt that there was more. What's the word I'm looking for? With Mr. Miyagi leaving initially, I, I thought that maybe it wasn't just Sato. I thought maybe it was like the villagers too that felt like he turned his back on them to go fight for, you know, the, uh, the U.S. armed forces. I, I didn't get that impression at all. I, I kind of got the feeling That's that. That's kind of what I misremembered, I, I guess. Yeah. I was looking for it. Yeah. Because when he came back to his village, there didn't seem to be any animosity toward him from anybody other than Sato and his nephew. Yeah, that's that's really it. And the the nephew was pretty much like raised to to kind of like hate against uh, Miyagi himself too. Yeah, uh, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I wonder where his parents are. But um, <laughs> that's actually a good question. Now that I think about it. Yeah, why is why is why is he working for Sato? You know, and why 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 is this guy misguided himself? Uh. Hates for no reason, you know. Just kind of, just kind of grew up angry. Is what I take from from Shosen. Now, Sato wasn't, you know, a, a criminal by any means, was he? Or, I mean, he was a legitimate business person, correct? Well, yeah. I don't know if it's him or if it's Shosen. You know, like that scene where um, Daniel helps uh, Ichiro. You know the. The street musician uh, with the uh, basket of carrots. Yeah, yeah, and then he puts it on the weight, and then right, uh, he sees like a piece of weight on the ground that's like chipped or something. So I don't. So obviously they were using like fake weights, um, you know, to kind of cheat like the villagers. And so I don't know if that was like Shozen's doings or is Sato. I kind of got the impression that that was Sozo because uh, Sato lectured him, saying that he had shamed him. But the yeah. reason why I ask is. Why didn't Miyagi go to the cops after a while? I mean, where, I mean, I mean, there was literally at one point where Daniel was being choked to death and the house was being destroyed. After a mm. while, you'd figure that they would want to bring the law into it, wouldn't they? Do you think that perhaps, uh, Sato is just, um, 
he's so wealthy, you know, that may, perhaps he owns the police too. Like in some way, this is like alternate 1985 Biff. <laughs> it's possible, but look at how many, look at how many Kennedys have been in trouble with the law. Yeah. Yeah, really tough to say. They don't really go into, um, uh, you know, like what the villagers think of him or anything. Obviously, he kind of uh, sold like people's lands and tried to take villages mm-hmm. away in spite, uh, you know, of Mr. Miyagi. But that's a that's a pretty good dynamic there. They they were taught. They were both taught by Mr. Miyagi's father. You know, they they were pretty close, almost like brothers, really. Mm-hmm. I also found it interesting that uh, in Miyagi's family, it was a tradition that the father would only teach the son, but Miyagi right. begged his father to make an exception. So, yeah, it, it would definitely imply that at one point they were as close as brothers. Yeah, and and that kind of speaks more to like the first movie where uh, Mr. Miyagi taught Daniel. And maybe in different ways to kind of get around it. I don't know. That, that'd be the funny thing. Yeah. Um, did, did you, so you caught the story about, uh, Ali with an eye, right? In the beginning? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we talked about this on the last episode. I really did not like the way that they handled that. Yeah. I mean, they, they could have, they could have done any number of things without making her out to be a bad person. They could have said, you know, she had to go to Princeton for college or, you know, her parents moved away or something where it wasn't so explicit. Yeah. She left me for another guy. And she trashed my car. Yeah, they they give us like a six months in between there from the very beginning of the movie to um to where we are now. the The reason Elizabeth Shue didn't return was because she uh went, went resumed her studies at Harvard. Mm-hmm. So that was the real story. But you're right, like, but they did they definitely had to break up because of uh, Kumiko mm-hmm. Kumiko in this movie. But they definitely didn't have to write it the way they did in this one for sure. No, I thought that they actually did the character a, a pretty big disservice on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but what do you think of Kumiko? Actually, uh, I'd say that she had the best scene in the entire movie, and that was the tea scene. Okay. I, I got to give, and I, I, forgive me, I, I can't remember the actress's name, but I got to give her and Ralph Macchio all the credit in the world because there's no dialogue in that scene at all. It's all based on hand gestures, facial expressions, with a little bit of help from the score. And it was very, very effective. And it was doing no small part to her. Yeah, I I like that scene a lot as well, uh, because we only got to see a glimpse of it from uh, Mr. Miyagi's, uh, you know, scene with him and uh, his girlfriend, uh, Mm -hmm. Yuki, Yuki A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daniel always pronounced it with that little accent on on the end there. Um, yeah, so we saw a glimpse of that, and then we see. Uh, I'm trying to mix up. I don't want to mix up their names here. Kumiko and Daniel later on. Um, I I did like that. I didn't care too much for the dancing just because I thought it was just another like, oh well, people must have liked the the dancing from the first movie, so they did it again here. Um, yeah. Again, kind of almost beat for beat. Uh, Daniel gets chased by the bad guys. Um, one scene I did like, which they kind of, kind of touched up on this, but I didn't think it was executed very well. Uh, early on in the movie, um, uh, Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel this new technique, which I felt should have been in the first movie, but this breathing technique, you know, and he's, uh, hammering boards and, but it's it's about regulating your breathing. And then there's this scene where um Daniel is challenged by Chosen to break four no six. Yes. Six sheets of ice. So I dug that scene a lot, but I didn't I didn't think there was enough setup to really pay off that scene. There wasn't and actually now that I'm thinking about it, I do kinda like the aftermath of that scene. Because Sato he admitted that he lost the bet fair and square. All right, here, I'll pay up. And then, uh, again, I can't remember the nephew's name. Uh, Chosen. He, yep. He refused, and that shamed the uncle even more. So, now that I think about that, actually, the aftermath of that was actually pretty well done. Yeah. And um it kind of... But that does pay off between the uncle and the nephew later on during the storm. Mm-hmm. Too, uh, which is also kind of sad. Do you think Sato's turn was too convenient? 
I thought it was very sudden and I thought it was really interesting how he, his, his entire demeanor changed. You know, he had a softer posture. He didn't wear the business suits and even his voice changed. Yeah, I know. I agree. That's the one thing I, I do remember as a kid. Like I kind of, even as a kid, I was like, is this a, a different actor? You know, because physically he was just so different. I mean, even you said like his tone and demeanor, uh, was very different too. I think they tried, but I, I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, um, Mr. Miyagi saves his life. And just because, uh, Daniel does this heroic, heroic act and Sheldon doesn't go out and assist, he turns 180, you know, decides to kind of forgive and forget. I could, I can, Buy it because Miyagi had every opportunity to to kill him. Right. You know, uh, Chosen thought that Sato was dead. He probably went into that shelter and told everyone that he was dead. Miyagi could have just, you know, snuffed him out real quick. Nobody would have known and the threat would have been over and done with. Instead, right. he chose to save his life. And I think that kind of finally drove the point home for Sato. You know, and that's another thing too. Um, this movie's rated PG and they keep talking about killing each other. Uh, shows it tells Daniel that he's going to kill him in the very beginning of the movie where, um, Mr. Miyagi has crease punch like two different like windows and cars. Yeah. And, uh, right, right after that, Daniel's like, Oh, you could have killed him. Couldn't you? And Mr. Miyagi's like, hi. And he's like, well, well, why didn't you? Like, Daniel, seriously? Like, you're asking Mr. Miyagi why you didn't kill Crease? Like, I, I thought that was a little interesting for being a PG movie. Well, not to mention, these movies were aimed directly at a youth market, too. So, right. yeah, that is kind of interesting. And not only that, what, do you remember the Miyagi's number one rule? Uh, it is, karate is only to be used in self-defense. Yeah, exactly. So, so like... I don't know. And, that's and what's that's number two? What's the number rule? Uh, number two rule about uh, the Miyagi Fight Club? First, learn rule number one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was cute. I, I I'm sure that got uh, quite a bit of laughs. Uh, speaking of, do you remember any other lines? Because this movie was full of Miyagiisms. You know, to the point where I'm thinking like, oh, Yoda could have said this stuff. Um, but there were quite a bit of funny lines. Um, like when they arrived to the airport, Daniel sees like a poster of, of like Sato, like chop, like hand chopping, like karate, like literally karate chopping a big old log. And, um, Daniel asked Mr. Miyagi, he's like, can you do that? He's like, don't know. Never been attacked by tree. <laughs> well, uh, that and he, I, I can't remember the exact line, but. He was imparting some form of wisdom to Daniel, and Daniel like, how how old is that saying? I don't know, uh, about 10 seconds. Yeah. A little so, cheesy. Yeah, but it was the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it was. I mean, we're talking about this movie now in 86. Wait until we get into part three, you know, where, where the 90s was full of cheese, sir. And, you know, I don't know if I've ever seen... Karate Kid Part Three. I, I saw the fourth one once. But I, I don't think I I've think that's ever all s- it deserves. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, the, the the next Karate Kid. I mean, there's no Daniel. I mean, you you got Mr. Miyagi returning. That's that's all I remember. And and a bunch of guys picking on Hilary Swank. And even Pat Morita couldn't save that movie. I don't remember. Oh wow! If you can't remember that, that 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 right there kind of tells me everything I need to know. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the drum technique we, we brought up earlier, it's this handheld drum. Um, I thought it was like some secret of the Miyagi family, but then at the very end scene during the fight, everybody seems to own one of their own. Yeah. Even, uh, Sato, the, the former bad guy happened to have one right on him and they never really explained what that was about other than it was a drum. Right. Like this, this is supposed to be like the next crane, uh, crane kick. That's why I felt like it was very underwhelming. Um, Daniel, like throughout the movie is like practicing the technique, which he hadn't even been demonstrated, uh, you know, by Mr. Miyagi. Like he's just trying to figure it out on his own, mm-hmm. you know, doing this, uh, little rotating hip swing kind of deal. 
And at the very end of the movie, he figures it out and Chosen, you know, is, um, you can't seem to block it or anything. Now, speaking of blocking, in the first movie, when he was practicing the crane kick, he, you know, Daniel asked, how effective is it? And Mr. Miyagi said, hey, if it's done correctly, there's no defense against it. So one of the very first things he tries when he's fighting Chosen is the crane kick, blocks it with ease. I know. It, it it's the execution, but like I, I feel like to answer that one, I feel like maybe Chosen he just sees it coming, so he's planning for it, you know? Whereas like you got Johnny Lawrence who's never seen the crane kick, can't block that, right? That's so, that's fair. That's fair. I, I yeah, I think that's I, I think that's what it is. You know, Chosen's probably like, Oh, I've seen this. My uncle probably taught me too, who was taught by the same man who taught Mr. Miyagi. So I that's that was always kinda in my head canon, even as a kid. I was like, Well, I'm sure they all knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. You know what I mean? Like as the audience, if we saw it coming, Chosen must have known as well. But um yeah, they not too many new stuff, uh, as far as like uh fighting stuff, you know, to emulate, you know, like the, the crane kick. No, well, actually, there was something that was, uh, how old are you, if you don't mind my asking? Do you remember when this movie first came out, by any chance? Uh, well, I, when this movie came out, I was three. Okay. The reason why I ask is, the thing that was everywhere, in addition to the action figures and all the rest of the merchandise, were those little drums. Really? Yes, they would sell them at, you know, uh, like, the 1986 equipment uh, equivalent of, uh, you know, the dollar store or okay. they would give them away at fairs or knickknack stores and they were everywhere for a good six or eight months. All right. Interesting. The only thing that I took from this movie, uh, I remember trying to do that hammering technique with a nail never worked. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, I definitely tried doing that. Um, and I forgot what I tried to do from part one, but the, these two movies, Credit Kid Part One and Two, there, there were things that I tried doing in real life myself that were never effective. Ah, uh, movie magic, kids. Yeah, no, really. I actually, I forgot who was it, uh, otherwise I'd give them the proper credit, but, uh, somebody tweeted at me today after, you know, releasing, um, our first review, someone said, I don't know any martial artist that likes that movie. I'm like, well, I mean, it's not realistic, you know? It, no, it, it's it, a the, movie. The price, yeah, they're scoffing at all the moves. It's like, what is that? You know, so yeah, I can see people not liking the movie for that, uh, especially if they're martial artists. And again, I, I did not enjoy Karate Kid based on the technicalities of the martial arts. I enjoyed it because of the acting and the characters. So, and, and, and again, I think that's why I didn't really like this one because I was gung ho. I, I thought in my mind's eye, I remember it being better than the first one. And then I'm watching it now. And it's like, Oh no, this, this doesn't hold up for me very well. I was very sad. Yeah. I, I definitely, um, went in thinking I'm going to love it. I still do. I still love this movie. Uh, but there were definitely times where I'm like, okay, this, this is definitely kind of, this is a pacing issue right here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but you, yeah, you, you do make a good point. Everyone's kind of dialed up to 11, uh, as far as acting Sato. Like, yeah, you're holding a grudge, but by God, like take it down a notch, you know, like, like s- skip to the way you are at the end, <laughs> you know, but just mean. <laughs> well, even, even the, uh, storm came out of nowhere. It was a bright, beautiful day and then literally hurricane. But I feel like that's how it can be on an island, no? I don't know. There weren't any clouds in the sky at all. Not to mention yeah. the fact that I know that they had radios in that town. They, there should have been word out that there was a storm on its way. Did, did you ever play the um, the Nintendo game of this movie? Oh, right. The, the I, game version of this movie. Of Karate Kid Part 2? Yes. No, I played the first one and it was very, very ridiculously hard. I, I vaguely, I don't remember the first one, but the second one, the two things I do remember is the ice sheet breaking deal. You know, he would go like at a diagonal cut and you had, you know, it's kind of like the Mortal Kombat tester might, but I forgot what you're, you know, like what you are supposed to actually do. But, um, you know, if you gain enough power, he can, um, you know, cut through all, all the sheets of ice. And then the other one was saving the little girl during the storm. Like he had to climb up on this tree and you had to do it just right or you'd fall and probably die and reset or something like that. 
but um, <laughs> not a good game. A lot of the games that were based on movies back in the day, not good at all. No, there. I can only think of maybe two that were any good. Which ones? Uh, off the top of my head, the first Batman game was really good. Okay, I played that not too long ago recently. My friend's got one of those emulators or whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed the first RoboCop game when I was a kid, but I'm willing to bet if I went back and played it now, it would probably be pretty bad. I played it also uh, that very same night. Uh, my, my friend, he had, like, all the old school games. I even played, like, Ninja Gaiden. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah the, like the, the OG. So that was uh, really nice. He had Mega Man. I didn't even get into those. But, um, I've, yeah, I played both RoboCop and I think it was actually Batman Returns that I played. I don't think I played the first Batman. Okay. Maybe I did. But, uh, anyway, yeah, the Back to the Future games were not good, uh, the Karate Kid, uh, at least part two that I remember, not good. <laughs> they never, they almost never were. No, really. Uh, what else was there uh, in this movie that maybe we, we didn't go over? Uh, I actually really enjoyed the cinematography. Uh, okay. The, the one scene that I really kind of stuck out in my mind was a, a really nice panning shot that started out on the ocean, moved over to trees, and then finally moved over to a deck where Mr. Miyagi and uh, his lady friend were having a conversation. I mean, yeah. that, that just really stuck out in my mind. Uh, the color palette of the movie, especially with the sunsets, uh, the funeral scene with the little floating candles, I thought it was very, very well done. Yeah, absolutely. The movie looks really good for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it it helps having... Well, at least it's supposed to take place in Okinawa, you know, so that's kind of nice, too, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, like, regular, you know, the Californian city or, yeah. or something like that. So it was it was nice that it was a change in scenery. The other thing that kind of stuck out in my mind was at the very end when they're at the dance inside the castle and Chosen just swings in on a cable out of nowhere. I couldn't help but laugh at that. <laughs> because it was so over the top. Like nobody saw him coming. Exactly. I mean, nobody saw him, you know, running along the, the top of the walls. It's like, wow, how did, how did, what are the logistics on that? How does he do right. that? <laughs> yeah. He, clearly there was a backside that he climbed up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it was owned by Sato. So, you know, that's probably, probably what it was. Yeah. Uh, I, I did, I did like his, uh, costume. Uh, I also like Daniel's jacket that he was wearing. You know, it's, it's almost very, well, it's got the, the bonsai, uh, image, you know, on, mm-hmm. on the back of his jacket. So that, that was really nice as well. Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, Pat, Pat Morita definitely kind of continued his strong acting performance, uh, from the first movie. Unfortunately, he wasn't nominated again, but, um, it was really heartbreaking to see, like, you know, him cry over the loss of his father and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all very touching, and I thought he still knocked it out of the park. Yeah, Pat Morita was definitely the highlight of this movie. Absolutely. Yeah, deservedly so. It's his movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel, mm, you know, I think he was still the same. Yeah. Still the same. Uh, in, in, in this one, I, I don't think anybody would say, oh, he was the villain. You know, like how you can say that with the first movie. That reminds me, right before, uh, we went on, I finally found, tracked down that YouTube video. Okay. I put it in the show notes too. Oh my God. Tears were rolling. I was laughing so hard <laughs> because he, mostly he makes really good points. And there were some of the points that you and I were talking about last week. Right. See, and like in this movie, like, uh, Daniel shows up. He's basically on vacation. There's this other guy that's out here, you know, picking on him. So Daniel's definitely not the, the villain in this one. No, no, not at all. Yeah. And, and the girl, he's not even taking the girl. See, so Daniel's doing everything he can to like avoid trouble. I was going to say, uh, he even flat out asks her if he ha- she has any commitments and then he proceeds. So yeah, he definitely yep. learned some lessons. I'll, I'll, that too. That's some character growth. I'll give the movie that much credit. He even says, do you think I should go talk to him? You know, because he's trying to say like, this doesn't involve us. This is Miyagi and Saro. He's like, maybe I should go talk to Shosen, you know, about this. But I thought that was interesting too. I I thought that was kind of cute. You know, the the, the scene where Daniel uh, asks uh, Kumiko if she uh, is arranged to be married off to somebody else. And then she asks him like the very same thing. He's like, no, no, I'm I'm a free agent. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. I can see why a lot of people like this movie. I can enjoy it on a certain level. 
I'm hoping that the third one is going to be as good, if not maybe a little bit better than better than this one. Okay, fair enough. Um, so let's uh let's see what the Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb had to say and see what uh, we agree with on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this kind of hurts my heart a little bit, but it's uh it's got a forty three percent rotten, and IMDb gives it a five point nine out of ten. I would probably lean a little bit closer to the IMDb. I'd probably give it maybe a five point five. A five point five. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think it'd be higher for me. Um, I, I kind of standing by everything I said. I still love this movie. The musical score is probably my favorite thing of the entire film, you know, and then everything else that we've kind of discussed. Uh, there's something about the music and I don't know the, those flutes. It's very hypnotic, maybe not the word, but uh, there's something. Yeah, perhaps, you know, um, I, I want to seek out like it's not on Apple music, unfortunately, but I want to, I want to find the score for credit kid too and just listen to that for fun. Um, I wonder I really if you can find it, it on uh, YouTube. Yeah, but you know, like I, I want to stream it on my phone while I'm working or something. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's really what it is. Um, but if I were to pick like a rating, I, I'd give it like a give it like a like a six point eight, you know, seven, you know, something like that. I think I think it's pretty good. Uh, and and I am pretty generous when it comes to rating. That's why I kind of dropped it and just <laughs> like let's just kind of go off of these, but. In my opinion, I think 5.9 and the 43% are, are too low. Um, I think people were just kind of hoping for the same things and what they gave us in this movie that were from the first movie just wasn't executed as well. Mm-hmm. I think it is, you know, that's what it is. So yeah, kind of came down to the writing on this one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Uh, I thought the direction was good. I thought, uh, at least. Other than uh, Chosen and uh, Sato, I thought the acting was good. I, yeah, it was all just the writing. Hmm. I wonder. They probably won't. I was gonna. I was wondering if they were gonna do like a, a remake of the part two, uh, since they got that Jackie Chan uh, part one remake. There were so. rumors about it for a long time, but I don't know. There's been so much time that's passed since that last one. When did that come out? Uh, 2010? 2010? Yeah, I think you're right. I think 2010 sounds right. And so that's seven years ago. Jaden, Jaden Smith is a grown kid now. Yeah, that's, that's an awful long time between, uh, the, uh, those two movies. I don't think that would work out right now. Especially if they could just CGI him. (laughs) (laughs) That's somebody else's voice. You know what? If they can make Robert Downey Jr. appear younger in Civil War, why not? Absolutely. Michael Douglas in Ant-Man. Yeah. Yep. And we we'll have the technology that. now. Let's use it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I uh, somebody just told me uh, I uh, I haven't seen Logan yet, but I, I heard that the beard and the hair is all is all fake. I can believe that. Yeah, yeah. So, someone showed me like a side by side. Like uh, I guess Hugh Jackman was actually clean shaven during the filming. So we we have that technology. Yeah, for sure. All right, so that will conclude our review of Credit Kid Part Two. Um, now, now, Tom, you and I, we haven't discussed the uh, the next Credit Kid, so that's something maybe we'll kind of talk about off mic here. But yeah. uh, I think we did agree on at least uh, Part Three to kind of conclude Daniel's story. I think uh, you know what we're this far along. I think we should do it. Might as well just throw maybe three and four together on on one episode. I'm gonna have to try to track down Part Four. Yeah, me too, because uh, I only got the trilogy. Yeah, the fourth one, and from what it sounds like, there's a reason why it might be kind of hard to find. <laughs> so, we'll see. If, uh, if we are able to track it, I'm sure we'll include three and four together. Yeah, at least three. I definitely have easy access to that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, again, I have the three pack, like special edition on DVD or something. Uh, I try, I try to look it up to see if they got the Blu-ray, which they do, but they don't have the trilogy in the, in, in the Blu-ray. They only got one and two together, and then you could buy three separately, which is kind of weird. Oh, that's not, that, that isn't a good sign. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> oh, no. So, so we'll see. We'll see what you think. All right. So, Tom, well, where can listeners find your show and interact with you online? Uh, well, it's like I tell anybody else, uh, we're going to be found anywhere you can find a regular podcast, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google. Uh, if you are an Android user, though, I encourage you to look up the Couch Party app on the Google Play Store. Uh, you can get us as well as a whole bevy of other really good shows. 
beyond that, if you want to get in touch with me, the easiest way is going to be Twitter. You can find me at the drunken dork. All right. And for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Podstalgic. Uh, I also do another show called We Got Five. Both shows can be found at CortenParts.com, along with other great shows as well. Uh, if you dig Glory of Love, which is going to be played at the end of this uh, review, please consider going back and checking out the episode titled Top 28 Songs from 80s Movies. I pretty much took 28 songs, had Twitter vote and rank the songs uh, by popularity. So if you like Glory of Love, you will probably like the other songs that are uh, featured in that episode. So find me again, Podstalgic on Twitter. So uh, thank you guys for listening. We will see you uh, next time. All right. Talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Cortem Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Cortem Parts shows, visit cortemparts.com.